welcome to the Thari podcast where compassion meets wellness. We're recording at the WeWork Prestige Central Studio. Today we have the distinct pleasure of engaging in a profound conversation with three remarkable women who have collectively penned the groundbreaking exploration into the heart of adoption. I'm thrilled to introduce Sarah Il- Easterly, Kelsey Vander Valle Raniard, and Laurie Holden, the authors of the book Adoption Unfiltered. In their collaborative work, Sarah, Kelsey, and Laurie bring a wealth of diverse perspectives representing the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parent. Adoption Unfiltered is a candid conversation between dozens of voices in the adoption community. The book sheds light on the emotional effects of separation trauma, challenges faced by the birth parents, and the struggles of the adoptive parents, and the need for ethical practices in the adoption industry. Today we have the privilege of delving into the minds and hearts of the authors of Adoption Unfiltered. Join me in welcoming our guests. So um, I was hoping to sort of start um, with you, Kelsey, with, you know, from the perspective of the birth parent. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you sort of navigated with coming to terms with the decision? Um, Sure. Um, yeah, I am. I'm still relatively new to this. Um, I seven and a half years ago, I had a baby and placed him from the hospital directly. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm only seven and a half years into this post placement journey. Um, but what led me to this, um, I found out I was pregnant in 2015 and um really i think that nine months sometimes it's not enough time to get your life together when it's not together and so um i just kept running into some walls of trying to find some support and not finding anything and so i landed on adoption um it was something that was sort of familiar to me um my dad is an adoptee and his birth mom was also an adoptee. And so I knew that there was, um, that that was an option. And so that's kind of what I explored really because I wasn't really offered any other options. Um, I wasn't, I didn't really have what I needed to make any other choices. So, so yeah. And then after, after that, I, really needed support. I really needed, um, you know, like mental health support and, um, was really not finding it. And my whole world kind of opened up. Um, when I met other birth mothers for the first time, I found a support group in my area and that really just blew everything wide open. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, were there any things that surprised you during the process of it, both in terms of the grief and anxiety that I know you talk about in your book, but also the actual process of it? Nothing, I would say nothing really surprised me of the process of it. It was very uninvolved. Um, I didn't go through an agency and so I didn't have a social worker, um, which I, looking back, I would have preferred to have um, somebody like walking me through that emotional aspect of things um i was very hands-off but the and i think because of that the grief and the anxiety and everything really shocked me it was really earth shattering for me um i remember having my first panic attack and not understanding and always thinking that panic attacks were were somehow very mental and not physical and being really shocked by the physical effects um, and and how how sick it made me. And so uh, those kind of things, just that the physical pain of, of that separation of um, from my child is was really it rocked me really badly. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough decision to come to, but is it something that you're happy with? I think that depends on the day. I think I I go through these different um, seasons where I feel one way about it, and and then I feel a completely different way about it. Um, I think that will continue. I wouldn't 
say that I'm happy about it. Um, I would say that it's something that I've had to form my life around and live with. And so um, I think I am, I'm happy about the way I've um, found community and I'm happy about the way I have made um, my life, I guess the choices I've made after um, the placement of my child because I'm happy about the way I've, I've put my pain into um, action and, and advocating for better policies. But I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm happy about um, the decision itself. I think that's just a, a, a journey that will continue. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, Laurie, could you shed some light on, you know, your journey into choosing to adopt a child, you know, the entire decision making process and any challenges or uncertainties that you faced? Yeah, this was over 20 years ago when my husband and I were um, somewhat newlyweds and realizing that we were not going to be able to have a baby the way other people can have a baby. And we wanted to be parents. So we did some research and, you know, there are in here, there are three ways you can go. You can go through the child welfare system. You can um, uh, go through international adoption. You can go through domestic infant adoption. And we looked at all of those. And, and we also looked at living child free. And we ended up deciding that um, domestic infant adoption would be the way we would try. And um, we, we went that route, um, completed the home study. Um, uh, we had a woman pick us to be parents to the baby she was carrying, turned out to be a daughter. And um, two years later, uh, the same thing happened with a woman who had a son. And um, so that's how I came to be parents to my children. Um, we have something, uh, we were on the very front end, well, middle end of something called open adoption here, where we, um, the birth moms had um, the choice of who, who was going to parent their, their babies. And we stayed in contact with them to this day. We are in contact with all um, of my children's four birth parents, well, most of them, and um, navigating those really complex relationships is tricky. There's a lot of emotions evolved, involved, uh, many of them mine, <laughs> some of them my children's birth parents, birth mothers, and birth fathers, and then as my children grew older, it was their feelings and their emotions and, and them navigating it as well. So you speak a lot about the unacknowledged grief um, in your book, both not just in coming to terms with the adoption, but even after the adoption process. Could you maybe delve into that a little bit for somebody who might be dealing with that themselves? Yeah, and I think um, I think all three of us can probably speak to that. So I'll speak to it just from the adoptive parent perspective, and that is especially if we come to adoption after infertility, that is grief. It's the death of a dream. Sometimes it's the death of a baby. And um, if we are just really trying to fast track not feeling that and, and filling, our, fill, filling our arms, um, we're not dealing with our own grief there. On top of that, our children have another set of parents who are very legitimate in their lives. And that can cause us to have some insecurity and feel like we're not real enough, we're not good enough. And until we start to feel some of those things, that, that grief that underlies it all, and the insecurity and the, um, the idea that we, we can't make it all better unless we feel it, um, that's really the key is to be able to stop not feeling and start feeling. So how did you establish a strong connection, both, you know, a strong, secure connection, both with your children as well as, you know, with the birth parents of the children? With um, my daughter's birth mom, we had a couple of really trust building incidents really in the early days. Um, one was that my daughter's birth mom invited us to be in the um, when she was giving birth, we were allowed to be there at the hospital. And um, that was just an incredibly 
um, it, it was an incredible experience for me to get to have that that close thing to something I wasn't able to have myself. Then when we were leaving the hospital, um, the agency had suggested that we just go our separate ways and make it easy to stun everybody if we just kind of split and rip off the Band-Aid. But um, we knew that our daughter's birth mom was grieving because she, she'd been able to um, show off the baby in the hospital to all of her friends and all of her family, um, except for one person, and that was her, her grandmother, who she loved and who um, was too ill to come to the hospital. So um, on a whim, my husband and I decided that instead of going directly to our home from the hospital, we would go to her, her mother's home where the grandmother was. And um, she, was, she, she was very appreciative of that. And it just built trust. It built a bridge of trust that we carried on with us for, for many, many years. Um, so that was, um, that, that answers, your, I think, the question of um, kind of building trust with them. I think what, what happened with my kids is because early on I started, I got on forums and online areas where I was able to um, hear from birth parents and adoptees and understand how important it is that they be able to talk about their birth parents, talk about adoption. Um, and so we did a lot of that in our home when our kids were little. And um, they, I, I th we tried to create an environment where nothing was off limits, that they could, they could come to us with anything. Um, and we would, we would be there in it with them. And so I think that's kind of what helped build the trust with, with our kids. Thank you for sharing that, it's beautiful. Um, Sarah, so you're an adoptee yourself, and you speak a lot about how that influenced your sense of identity and belonging. Could you talk a little bit about your journey? Sure, yes, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, so for sure, um, belonging and um, feeling feeling like you have to fit you know be a certain way in order to belong is a huge um, component of my story and lots of adoptees um, I have um, you know there were 23 adoptees interviewed for the book um, and this was definitely a common theme and then I've also um, I run writing groups for adoptees and I've heard over a thousand adoptee stories now and belonging is a is a really um, key thing so um, you know one of my my ongoing aspects of that as an adoptee is um, it, it's a matter of survival having to belong and fit in so you're in one family first and for whatever amount of time even if it's just a purely in utero experience and then um, you kind of just intuitively grasp that you've got to fit in into the next family to survive and so it can make finding out who you truly are um, and how you really feel um, elusive because there's a lot of people pleasing um, and a lot of just trying to be good for um, that that can naturally happen now there, that doesn't mean all adoptees present that way but that's definitely was a, a key a key way that i responded to um, you know basically the separation trauma and just the 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 moving from one family to another. So looking back, is there something that you think would have helped you, you know, some sort of um, with the separation anxiety, was there something that could have been done that maybe your family had not uh, had the information available to them about? <laughs> Yes, so I was adopted in um, what was here completely closed era of adoption um, where I there was no contact, um, there was not a lot of information, records were changed. Um, I had some pieces of story to go on, but not much. Um, in my family culture and what was common at the time was um, you know, just kind of pretending that adoption didn't happen. Um, and so there was a lot of pretending. I mean, I, it was kind of a, you know, people would 
comment that I looked just like my mom and I could tell my mom loved hearing that. And so I would play up on that because I was a people pleaser and I wanted to make my mom happy. My first mom, from my perspective as a young girl, had left and I needed to keep my next mother close. So um, there was a lot of that. Um, I definitely think it's a combination of, um, of openness in terms of being able to talk more openly about an adoption would have gone a long way and um, not feeling like I had to keep secrets and keep everything private. Um, I had discerned and I think accurately to some degree that my mom um, had some discomfort and so did my dad had discomfort talking about adoption. They had discomfort with, I'm putting in quotes, sharing me um, with another mother. Um, and I could pick up on that. And again, because I was trying to be good for my mom, I, I played into that. Um, and so we didn't talk about adoption, um, more than a handful of times. And it was really hard because I thought about my birth mother all the time. I had, um, all kinds of fantasies about her and wondering if she was thinking of me and watching me and, um, you know, I would imagine that she had hired a private detective who was sending, you know, sending her updates and just all the things on the playground. I would wonder, is someone watching me that's going to report back to my mom? And, and those were all very dangerous thoughts that I thought I felt they were psychologically dangerous because it made me feel distanced from my parents um, and my family, but also I couldn't let them find out. Um, so certainly the secrecy, the, the, closeness, the lack of ability to, to have those conversations. I do want to just say that um, with regards to the question, those things would make it better. But I think one trap that, that, that we, that, that, that kind of comes up a lot when in those kinds of questions is thinking if you do X, Y, and Z, it's going to be okay. And I think the big thing for all of us is just, it's, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not going to ever be fixed, um, with adoption, even, um, even in the best of circumstances. And that doesn't mean, um, it can't happen and it can't be, there can't be good moments and there can't be healing, but it's a wound that will always be there. And, um, we have a quote in our book from Dr. Gordon Neufeld about how that wound goes on for the rest of our lives. And I have certainly found that to be true. I'm turning, I'm more than, I'm 15 at one now. And there's always new ways that separation trauma is affecting me it's as I age. And I look back and see how it had affected me that I didn't even realize beyond my awareness. So, um, so there's, there's no way to make it all better sadly but there are definitely ways to support us and a huge one is just through acknowledging that <laughs> and acknowledging the loss and the pain and the grief um, and making space for us to feel that feel that and that's part of those conversations but it's also just feeling feeling sad and being okay with that so as a adoptive parent who might be you know listening in on this podcast who may not have the answers for their kids you know because in india a lot of adoptions are closed and there's very little information on the birth parents how do you how do you approach this without necessarily having the answers to give to your child um I I always recommend because that is the case a lot here too um, with when we have intercountry adoptions especially, um, but just an openness of of um, I'm sure your your birth mother is thinking or I'm sure your mother was you know would be so happy to you know think of you today on your birthday or um, I know she would be so proud of you or you know just the the conversations and the the kind of bridging kind of being being the holder of that relationship for the child would go a really long way in those cases of making it clear that you as the parent are comfortable talking about that and comfortable again i kind of said the sharing my i, I read that my mom wasn't comfortable sharing me well you're already sharing the child because of your the child has the dna of another mother and so so those those kinds of conversations can just be subtle ways to cue the child that 
it's okay to talk about this and it's okay. And also then just the, the nice, the nice opportunity for that child to feel that they don't have to keep that a secret and also to find hopefully some rest that yes, of course your birth mother is thinking of you um, and, and, and remembering you. Yes. Thank you for that. I think that's very helpful advice. So I wanted to switch this to a more broader general perspective. Your book is very unique in the sense that you not only bring in three perspectives, but it's very well researched and you've spoken to a lot of people in similar situations uh, who've been through something similar to what you have. So what was your inspiration and the purpose behind writing and approaching the book this way? You want, you want me to take it or I'm looking at my co-authors to see who should take it? Um, well, um, there are three white women and we do not represent adoption in the United States um, and, and in the way it's practiced. So I think in terms of the other voices we brought in, we were very clear from the front that we wanted it to be more than just the three of us. We definitely were intentional that we wanted what um, a representative from each member of what has been traditionally known as the adoption triad. Um, but we wanted to have lots of diversity and we wanted diversity in um, kinds of adoption, inter-country and um, domestic, same race, um, transracial or interracial. Um, we wanted racial diversity. We wanted diversity in age. We wanted a really, really fairly complete snapshot. We wanted, um, it, we have some um, adoptions that were same sex parents, um, single parents. Uh, we have an adoptee who represents the disability community. We have an adoptee who was relinquished and placed twice. Um, we interviewed people who chose not to adopt. Um, we just wanted to go really broad. Um, and, you know, of course you can always go even more deep. That was the, that was, I think the one hurdle we faced is that we, we could have kept going. And it's, I think everyone who's researching a book experiences that where you have to at some point start, stop the researching and start the writing. Um, but we, we really just, um, deeply enjoyed those conversations too. Um, and then it was really a matter of um, trying to distill from those conversations the bigger picture of what is this story of adoption. It, it's not necessarily to tell each person's story. They can do that. And many of the people we interviewed have already done that. But to distill what are the broader, broader stories and how do we make sense of this on a broader level um, from each different perspective so that we can explain ourselves to, so for, for me to explain adoptees to other adoptees um, and for Kelsey to do the same for birth parents, um, and, but then also to each other. Um, we have a lot of misunderstandings or we have old information that didn't necessarily serve. Um, and so it's, it's kind of clarifying, um, if you will, how, how adoptees work for birth parents and, and for adoptive parents, and then also for anyone working in the space for professionals and social workers and educators and anyone else who falls in the broader, what we call adoption constellation. So what would be the key themes that you would like a reader to take away from Adoption Unfiltered? I'll take a go at this one, if that's okay. Um, well, I think you kind of started off with one of the main things that is not always known, Nikita, and that is that um, underlying all adoption is grief and loss. And it's a profound grief, grief and loss. And um, I think here in the United States, I think everybody thinks they know adoption and it's a win-win thing that a, a, a baby can't stay with one family or a child can't stay with one family, they go to a new family, usually they get a better life out of it. So it's all good. Everybody's happy. Um, and, you know, it's just so much more nuanced and complex than that. So I think that's, that's one of the things is grief. There's so much more complexity than people know. And um, that adoption is not nothing. It is really something that we need to 
um, be open to the complexities and to then tr navigate it with a lot of intentionality and mindfulness because it, it does it's we can't make it go away by wishing it away. We can only address it by address like acknowledging it and then and, and dealing with it as it comes up through the years. It's not a one, you know, it's not you you take care of this today and you're all good. It, it's a developmental thing and it's something that we uh, all three of the the parts of this are dealing with from from the day that relinquishment or placement happens. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I guess the other topic that you talk a lot about is identity. And yes, as the adoptee, there there is a identity crisis that is you know intuitive for anyone to understand. But I'm guessing the same thing happens with the birth parent or the adoptive parent as well, because as a birth parent, you've probably given birth, you're a mother, but you still have to deal with not having your baby. Would you like to maybe shed some light on that aspect of it? Sure. Um, <clears throat> a lot of women um, place maybe their second or third or fourth child. Um, so it's not for everybody as far as um, we don't all feel the same, but I there is the sense of like, there's somebody missing in my home. Um, I placed my firstborn, and so there's, there's definitely um, different feelings that come up for that. I, you feel um, like you're a mother for a day, and then it's, it's ripped away from you, um, and then you go home, and you, the whole time in pregnancy, too, I remember feeling like I can't wait for this to be over because, A, it's traumatic, um, it's a traumatic experience. I was very sick in pregnancy and it was just a really, it was, you know, it was a time of crisis in my life. And so you were counting down the days till this was over, but your mind plays tricks on you in that you, you're, you anticipate your life going back to the way it was going back to like normal. And there is no normal. Your life never returns to, um, to what it was before you became pregnant. And so um, it's really putting the pieces together of who you are again um, and getting to know yourself in a really dark way sometimes as well. Um, just there's so many <laughs> just challenges with depression and, and postpartum depression. Um, the separation is very painful, but um, I felt like for me, putting myself back together was um, with the help of women that had are also gone through it. Um, and that was that community aspect that was so important. I, also, I feel like I so badly wanted to be a mom and it's, I thought about it all the time after the relinquishment of my child um, and I, I didn't get pregnant right away, but I, I got married and got pregnant right away after I got married. And um, I think I would never say out loud, like this is replacing any child um, <laughs> place for adoption, because you know, logically, you're not replacing, you can't replace people and children. But I do think on a subconscious level, um, your body very much is thinking that, that that's what's occurring. Um, that this thing, this person, this new baby will make, make you feel a lot better. Um, now I, my daughter brings joy to our lives. Um, but she's not a replacement and she wouldn't want to be, um, that wouldn't, she wouldn't want that purpose for herself either. Um, but very much there's still a, there's a, person missing in my household. Um, I have an open adoption and I see my child and I know them and I love his parents and we get along great, but there very much feels um, like there's should be another bed in our home and um, you know, another bedroom and another, there's an empty spot on the couch. And so I think that there, there is an identity a bit of an identity crisis for birth parents. Um, I can't, I can't um, 
relate to all the moms at the at the school you know they don't, they haven't gone through this very unique experience as i have so yeah there's there's um there's definitely i think just kind of like a hole in your heart forever you know yeah um so you speak about open adoption and i think laurie said that uh, she got her baby her babies are also through open adoption so this is a relatively new concept that maybe a lot of people don't understand or maybe they fear going into an open adoption because like you said in your story, you know, it's like looking through a window. So could you maybe shed some light on what, both what open adoption is and maybe from all three perspectives, how it benefits or doesn't benefit? I, well, Lori wrote a book on open adoption. So I do <laughs> feel like Lori should go first because she has this whole she just explains it so well. Yeah, it, it's it's it, one of the premises of that book is that um, adoption creates a split in a child between their biology and their biography. And when we are able to um, provide the openness that Sarah was talking about, we can help reintegrate those for the for the child and, and t- intertwine them together. I think it's really hard for people like me um, who were not adopted. I was raised by the parents who conceived and whose, whose DNA are in me. And so I didn't, I don't have that split. And so, um, so that's one, one meaning of openness is, is being able to talk about it and bring things up, but also just having the contact and having the information. And like you said, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes birth parents are not known or not available or not safe. Um, but there's still ways to provide openness between the parent and the child and be able to talk about the things that are coming up, talk about the emotions that are coming up. Um, it is a hard thing for adoptive parents sometimes because of the closed adoption era and how in, in that era we could only really have one legitimate set of parents. This is really hard to shift into what if we had the parents by biology and the parents' biography both being real. and um, it, But it's a shift that I think um, when we can make it, it's just better. It provides a better um, garden for our children to grow in. It also requires us as adoptive parents to take a look at that insecurity we have about not being the only parent and to be able to not only tolerate but embrace another set of parents that are really important to our child. Um, you know, we we do all sorts of things. We outsource all sorts of things for our children. If we don't dance, we find them a dance teacher. If we can't, you know, straighten their teeth, we find them an orthodontist. And so if we can't provide that, like, feeling of a, of a comfortable shoe that their other mother might have in a day that I don't have that, why wouldn't I try to outsource that if I have, out, if I have access to that? Why wouldn't I want that for my child? Um, so, uh, barring, you know, the concept of open adoption that's become so popular, um, not, not popular, but has become more mainstream um, in the last few years, do you think that the adoption world is, are there more changes that are happening in the adoption world today? I think so. Um, not fast enough, but I do think that there are a lot of, a lot of, ad- from the adoptive parents' perspective, I think there's a lot of parents who, who get it and who want to do this well, and who are willing to do their part in it. But they, I think there are a lot of people who have not, who, who are still stuck in that, um, the way we were doing things in the last century. It seems like the way it's always been done, and, and it was really relatively new in the United States policy to, um, to hide everything, to change records, birth records, to really try to divorce what happened for the baby before they were placed in their new arm, the new parents' arms, and what happened before. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why it is changing here is because the people who are most affected by those policies, namely the adoptees and the birth parents, um, started finding each other in community. The internet also happened and it made it easier to find each other in community and it made it easier also to raise voices and say, and ask for change and, and, and say we need to do things different because this did not work well for us. Yeah. 
Um, and Sarah, I think you speak a lot about um, trauma that maybe an infant or a baby may face even before it is born, uh, just because the mom is going through a lot of stress coming to terms with the adoption and stuff. So do you think that this just sort of happens to like children who are adopted then tend to be more anxious in general, maybe just because the mom was more stressed? Um, yeah, that is what my research showed. Um, and that was incidentally one of my hardest chapters to write uh, because it was like, oh my gosh. So like I, it felt rang so true <laughs> on a personal level. Um, that was my, that came to play in my chapter on anxiety and alarm. Um, and, and, and that is, I mean, I think there's so much separation involved in adoption and there are just some human instincts, you know, instinctive ways we respond when we're faced with separation that's too much to bear. Um, so, um, yeah, I did take a look at prenatal experiences and the effects of, um, you know, unwantedness and maternal stress on an infant. And that just compounded things on a, there's the physiological and the psychological. And, and I just, you know, um, I had a, that was a difficult chapter because it was like, okay, what's the way through? <laughs> um, you know, I, I happen to know um, I'm resilient and I know a lot of adoptees who are very resilient there. It's not all hope is lost. Um, that was, you know, kind of my um, saving grace is knowing, you know, the arc of so many of us. Um, but, but there's there, that's all real. Um, and I think just a stressful pregnancy has effects, whether wantedness is there or not. Um, and, and, you know, whatever the circumstances are, you know, of course there are different circumstances that lead lead women to make the decision to place a baby of course but um but it's a stressful decision i think we can all agree on that and and then just how that affects us in utero um is is very real and then you know with adoption there's always separation so um yeah I don't know if I answered your question or not, Nikita, but... <laughs> no, definitely. I think it was also very interesting to read and understand that, you know, yes, some of it is a nurture, but a lot of it could also be just like the nature and the circumstances in which you're born. Um, yeah. So looking back at your respective journeys, are there any significant moments or milestones that stand out to you? Do you mean our like our journey? Oh, do you mean our journey like writing the book together? Um, either or way, you could take it in... in life or just in general. Okay. As... Okay, yeah. Sarah, do you want to go first? <laughs> well, I have so many, and that's why why I had to write a memoir before I wrote this book <laughs> <laughs> to get those all out. I have a, I have a lot of significant moments, but I think one of the the big ones I will point to. Um, and, and I think this is an important one to speak to is I did go through about 35 years of my life convincing everybody else that I was unaffected by adoption and that I was just fine. And I convinced myself of that too. Um, it was too big. It was just too big. It's like looking at the sun and it will burn your eyes if you look too close. And so I think that is another, um, it's a potential trap for adoptive parents to know about because I think it, um, you know, I, I blindsided my parents, frankly. Um, when I finally started looking up close at adoption, um, they were like, wait, what? You always said you didn't mind that you were adopted. You know, you always said you were okay. And so for them, it felt like a 180 degree shift. Um, I, I, I was just fooling myself though. And when I had my own children who were biological to me, that started all kinds of processing of, um, you know, that frankly, I didn't want to look out in my pregnancy. I wanted to, I was a little detached um, emotionally from my child, um, my firstborn, because I didn't, I had this story in my head that it doesn't matter. Pregnancy doesn't matter. And it, it's no big deal. I was relinquished. And, and so it's, you know, no big deal. And, but then I kept having real emotional 
um, stories telling me otherwise that, well, no, I'm, you know, really care about this baby I'm holding in my arms when she was born. And I was just almost obsessive about um, seeing the similarities in us. And I could see them, but then I would go places and people would tell me she looked just like my husband and she doesn't look like you. And it would just put me in all kinds of places in my head going, wait a minute, like this is like my first genetic relative that I'm able to look at closely. And I think we look alike. And, um, but it just started all kinds of, of thinking. And then, and then just putting my, my birth mother's, you know, perspective on there and, and just really kind of just getting, starting to get curious of not, instead of just being hardened um, inside that, oh, she didn't care about me. She didn't want me. And she's never going to come find me, but just kind of just a new a mother's my own mother's lens on that of what it feels like to hold a baby and um how would it feel to not be holding my baby and um just realizing that i needed to find out i needed to get some answers so i did search for my birth mother and i found her um i found out that she had wanted me she had tried to keep me in in, um, in, in the era um, of the 1970s here um, it's known as the baby scoop era, and um, there was coercion involved. Um, the, the OB was kind of the go-to person for unwed mothers, and so it it was there were some definitely um, not wholesome uh, circumstances. It wasn't. It probably wouldn't have been considered legal technically. Um, it was Montana was one of the last states to have regulations and that was the state where I was born. Um, and and so it was always labeled a gray market adoption and I didn't know what that meant. So all of all of those things are really pivotal to my story um, because finding finding her um, gave me all kinds of new information. Um, I had the I didn't have proper facts so I had new facts and then a reframing because I always believed I was unwanted but I had a different story right there that I was wanted um, and so that kind of I had to go dial that all back in with my perspective earlier through life for the 40 years up to that feeling like I was unwanted and not good enough. Yeah. Laurie would you like to give your um like your take on it yeah i can remember when my children were young like they were maybe four and six and um i was having a, a good close relationship with birth parents and my children were not quite a, yet a factor in it and i just thought i had everything figured out and so the dawning on me came when i got on some forums and told everybody how much I had everything figured out. <laughs> and I realized I didn't have much figured out at all. There was so much more complexity and um, depth to everything. And I've spent the last 18 years just really exploring that. And I still haven't hardly scratched the surface. There's so much to know. Um, and so I, th I think that kind of plays into the openness too, is to always be open to something new that you didn't already know. Um, one of the things the three of us have based our working relationship on and that we um, would love to model for other people too is to listen for understanding, to try to hear somebody else with a different perspective um, for what they're really trying to, to say, not jump in with your own assumptions or your own opinions, but to really listen where they're coming from um, without judgment. And so... Um, that happened. <laughs> that that journey started back when I knew everything, and now I know I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, as it is for everything, I guess. Um, Kelsey, would you like to share your memory? Sure. Um, I guess I'm. So, like I said before, my dad is an adoptee, and his birth mom was an adoptee, and um, I write about in the book how. I basically was born into a very new adoption reunion um, because my dad had just connected with his birth mom um, a year before I was born. And so my whole life, they were, that was my third grandmother. And I have all these aunts and uncles and cousins. Um, 
And so I was born into this wide open family um, that was very new at the time. But in 2021, I would say things got just, I don't know, interesting in the way our family looks at adoption. I had my own adoption story happen in 2016, um, but then even then just with my family, they knew I was working in adoption and they were like, you know, it's just something that she's doing. It's just, uh, just, you know, we'll just stay out of it. Um, just let Kelsey be Kelsey. And then my grandmother died in 2021 and it brought up a lot of feelings for my dad. And it was so bizarre, um, watching my dad grieve over his birth mom because you just, it's hard not to, to think about what you mean to your own child. Um, and there was so much role switching and just, um, themes that were mimicked throughout this grief process. And so my dad and I were able to have some really candid conversations about his childhood and the questions he had as an adoptee. And these were things I had never heard from him. Um, but I really think that that my dad and I have always butt heads and we have not gotten along for the longest time, but it, it really did bring us so much closer to be able to understand each other and have those conversations. And so, um, my grandmother's death, I guess, really brought us together and, um, also helped us better understand her when we started talking and having those conversations and trying to understand each other. We were also understanding her life, her choices. And, um, and I think that's a really, it's been a really beautiful way to honor her. And so I think, um, it's all part of this arc for me, but, uh, so far, I hope there's more good memories to come, but, um, so far that's, that's been a really good one. So. Yeah, of course. So if you could offer advice to others going through a similar situation, whether it's birth parents, adoptive parents or children, what would it be? Would you like to start Kelsey? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess for a woman that was in my similar situation, I would say read up on everything that you can. Um, I The professionals are likely not going to give you the information um, that you need, unfortunately. Um, but read, read about um, the effects on the adoptee um, and, and explore your options and give yourself time. I worked for a, a great agency in Indianapolis and um, my, that was my first adoption job. And one of the things they told me was that there is no uh, such thing as an emergency adoption. Um, these are not emergencies. We can help people slow down and consider their options without moving too quickly. And I think for the mom, that's a really important thing to know because um, professionals whose, um, whose pay, whose fees are depending on you to make quick snap decisions, um, they are not going to tell you that there's no such thing as an emergency adoption so you have to know that yourself so that's that's one thing I, I and I'm I'm not against the decision in general but I I just wish people knew more about it before um, diving in because I think that knowledge is power and and when we when we're shielded from that information it's it's I don't think that's a good thing so yeah I agree with you on that um, Sarah would you like to go next Sure. Um, yeah, just for other adoptees, I think, um, you know, I guess, um, and I'm assuming at this point, adoptee to adult adoptee, but just um, being okay and getting comfortable with feelings and recognizing that it is a lifelong process. Um, I think a lot of us um, tend to grow up thinking I did thinking we're crazy um, or something's really wrong with us and we, but we don't want to say it out loud in case we like, you know, get room, you know, <laughs> tell others, you know, we want to keep it, keep it quiet and keep that private. But um, 
you know, finding community is really important and listening to other adoptees because it's just, that's when you realize, okay, I'm not, I'm actually not crazy. <laughs> we all have a lot of the same responses. Oh, these are just human responses to separation. So I think, um, you know, getting, getting comfortable with the, the feelings is really important and then finding community and then recognizing that you're not alone and that lots of people have gone down um have have experienced this and and this loss too and come out the other side resilient um in spite of the hardship and the pain that exists too but um, when you're running from that pain it, there's no adaptation you have to you have to be comfortable feeling it and very similar to what Lori described um and that is a theme for all all three of our audiences um so that is the big one i lead with Thank you for that. Laurie, would you like to give your perspective? Yeah, I think if people are like me, what we adoptive parents know about adoption before we come into it is from the very limited perspective of an adoptive parent. And we're kind of taught that adoption is really no big deal, just love them like your own. And um, enough love will, will take care of everything. And that's really wholly inadequate. <laughs> So um, what I wish I had done earlier and what I would recommend that other people do is to seek out adoptive voices, listen to adoptive voices, specifically ones who have begun to look more consciously at their adoption, at their adoptedness, um, um, and who are processing that. Because um, what two of the things that I found that um, are really important for adoptive parents to know is Adoptees need to be able to feel their white, their whole range of emotions, and we should not try to prevent them from feeling that grief, as we talked about. And then also that we can, we are in a better position to hold that full range of emotions if we can be a safe and clear container. And for us to do that, we need to be processing our own stuff, our own grief, our own insecurity, so that we have the space to hold and be present with our adoptees' feelings as well. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so that was all my questions. I think this was a beautiful conversation and it was lovely to hear all three perspectives at the same time. I just wanna thank you for having us on. Your questions were very insightful. So thank you, Nikita. Thank you. So yes, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having all three of us too. It's it's really nice to all all three be here together. And um, thank you for the time you spent reading the book as well. <laughs>